Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it's the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Let's pray as we come to read God's words that he would help us to understand it. Let's pray. Psalmist writes, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Father, we do pray that for ourselves this morning, that we would indeed see wonderful things in your your word, we would see the truth, that we would see Jesus. And as we do so, we would see that it's the truth that sets us free. In his name we pray. Amen. I'm sure that there will be lots of lessons that we can take away from this current crisis. Probably the biggest is the realisation for many that our society, our lives, are not as secure as we thought they were. As human beings, we are vulnerable. We're not in control. However much we like to think that we are in control, maybe because of all the the technological developments of, of the past century, we've seen how a microscopic virus has thrown all of that into disarray and in the process has shut down the world. I wonder if I asked you, who do you think is in control of this situation in the UK at the current time? What would you, what do you answer? Obvious answer would be the, the government. After all, they're the ones who make the, the decisions about shutdown, about the use of resources, financial compensation. They've also been given sweeping emergency powers. 
Others may say, well, it's the police. They're the ones who have the power to enforce those laws. Some may say it's the general public, because the system under which we work is one of, of consent. And without the consent of the public, the police won't be able to enforce those powers. Some may say, well, actually, those who are in control are the NHS workers, because our lives are in their hands. The thing is, if these people are able to protect us and do the best for us, then we are happy to, for them to be in control, to trust them. But however much they try and reassure us, we know they're not. They can't even ensure sufficient testing or protective equipment, and certainly can't control who is infected by the virus and how they will respond when they are infected. In our current sermon series, we're looking at the last hours of Jesus' life, as described in the book of Matthew. The story we're looking at this morning is a story of Jesus' trial. But it's not really a trial in which a verdict is reached about Jesus' guilt or innocence. It's a battle of control, played out by three groups of people. The Jewish leaders, Pilate, the Roman governor, and the crowd. And the ironic thing is that Jesus, the one who stands on trial, the one who refuses to defend himself, and the one who appears to be the innocent victim of a great miscarriage of justice, is the one who's really in control. The first point we see from the story that is true for us today is that as humans we are enslaved by our desire to be in control. Let's look at each of these groups in turn, starting with the Jewish leaders. From the moment Jesus started his public ministry and proclaimed the arrival of the kingdom of God, the Jewish leaders conspired to get rid of him. Why was that? Well, because they thought they were living righteous lives. But Jesus criticised them for their hypocrisy. This is what he said to them back in chapter 18 of Matthew. He said, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Pretty strong language. Jesus was a threat to their authority. And so they would use any means they could to, to bring him down. Eventually it came in the form of one of Jesus' disciples, Judas, who was willing to betray him. He took them to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in the middle of the night where he was arrested. He was then put on trial. Of course, it wasn't a real trial. As I said back in verse 59 of chapter 26, it said the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they didn't find any, though many false witnesses came forward. So in the end, the high priest asks Jesus direct, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. To which Jesus replies, you have said so. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. But they're not interested in finding out whether or not Jesus really is the Messiah. They've made up their minds that he's not, but because he says he is, they charge him with blasphemy. 
And so having got their confession, we're told at the beginning of chapter 27, early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. However, they still have a problem, because they are under the authority of the Roman Empire. They themselves can't sentence anyone to death. Only the Roman governor can do that. And so it says they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. But how are they going to convince Pilate to sentence him to death? Pilate's not going to be interested in some religious dispute. So there's no point telling him Jesus is guilty of blasphemy. But he would be interested if Jesus was a political revolutionary. And so they tell him Jesus has claimed to be the king of the Jews. He could be a political threat to Roman rule. We pick up the story in verse 11 where Pilate asks Jesus direct, are you the king of the Jews? We'll come back to Jesus' interaction with Pilate, but it doesn't take long for Pilate to see that he's innocent, that he's harmless. And he sees, as it says in verse 18, that he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. That self-interest is the power and authority the control they have, that they don't want to lose to to this guy Jesus who has attracted so many followers. The problem with the Jewish leaders is that they're not listening to Jesus. This is God right in front of their eyes. He's teaching from the scriptures with authority, he's healing, he's revealing the truth, but they don't want to hear it. They're comfortable with their idea of how they can be right with God, and that involves ceremony and tradition. It involves correct outward behaviour rather than a heart of repentance and humility. They're enslaved to their own self-righteousness. Jesus has come to set them free, but they don't want that freedom. They don't have a true relationship with God. They're serving their own interests. They were blind to who Jesus was. That's why sin is described in the Bible as spiritual blindness. I wonder how often do we refuse to accept the truth because we're serving our own interests. Even as Christians, do we come to the Bible with our own preconceptions of what we think it should say? Or do we come with an openness of mind, asking God to reveal the truth to us? The Jewish leaders realise they're not going to be able to persuade Pilate, and so they turn their attention to plan B, to persuade the crowd. But before we come on to them, what about Pilate? Well, he listens to the accusations of the chief priests and elders, and he can't understand why Jesus doesn't answer them. Normally that's the first thing we do, isn't it? When we face unjust accusations. We're desperate to defend ourselves, to, to clear our names. But Jesus remains silent. And so Pilate asks him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. It's like Pilate wants Jesus to defend himself. Pilate knows that he's not guilty, doesn't deserve to die. So what's he going to do? Well, he thinks he might have another solution. Verse 15, it says, Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner. His name was Jesus Barabbas. 
So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas? Or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Now he's probably thinking, surely, given the choice between a hardened criminal and this harmless innocent man, the crowd will ensure justice is done and he can get back to his life again. The thing is, Barabbas is a well-known prisoner, and we learn from Mark's Gospel that he's been involved in an uprising. So if the crowd are looking for a, a popular rebel leader who could overthrow Roman rule, maybe Barabbas is their man. Jesus, on the other hand, is interested in challenging the Jewish leaders more so than the Roman rulers. He's not going to take up arms anyway. So the question of innocence is probably not really of interest to the crowd. They're more interested in someone who's going to fight for them. Pilate also underestimates the influence the Jewish leaders have over the crowd. So when he asks the crowd the question, which of the two do you want me to release to you? He's probably quite surprised when the answer comes back, Barabbas. He's probably now sensing that he's losing control of the situation and he's getting worried. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? They will answer, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. He's really desperate now. He wants to do the right thing, but they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Pilate should be playing the role here of judge. It even says in verse 19, he was sitting on the judge's seat. His role should be determined whether Jesus is guilty or innocent. His wife has even sent him a message saying, don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Pilate wants to do the right thing. But when push comes to shove, the thing that is more important to Pilate is power and control. He couldn't risk going against the crowd, the possibility of an uprising. Even if his soldiers put it down, word would get back to Rome and his reputation would be severely damaged. And so it says in verse 24, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said, it is your responsibility. Yes, it's their responsibility, but it's also his. I wonder how often we find ourselves in that position. We know what the right thing to do is, but we don't have the courage to do it. Maybe because of what we stand to lose. If we are Christians, how often have we let Jesus down out of fear? How often have we denied the truth by refusing to take responsibility for our decisions? How often have we tried to make ourselves feel better by thinking it's someone else's responsibility when we share that responsibility? For anyone in leadership, there's a great temptation to protect themselves at the expense of the truth. We've already seen that in Donald Trump blaming the Chinese in order to deflect attention away from some of his own mistakes. Our political leaders are in a particularly vulnerable situation at this time, and so we need to pray for them. I'm sure they will want to do the right thing, but when it comes to it, will they have the courage to accept their own responsibility? Well, let's come on to the crowd. What do we know about them? I wonder how many of them a week earlier would have been amongst the crowd on Palm Sunday, welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem 
as a king. But now they're calling for him to be crucified. What has happened? Well, all we're told is that the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. The last gospel says they stirred them up. We're not sure how. It's probably not on the basis of who was innocent. It may have been to portray Barabbas as their leader. Not like this guy Jesus from Galilee. He's an outsider. It may have been to portray him as the, the new rebel leader. And so when Pilate asked them, what should we do with Jesus? They all shout together, crucify him. When he asks why, what crime has he committed? They don't answer him. The crowd can't really answer a specific question like that. They just do what they're good at. He says they shout all the louder, crucify him. They're even prepared to take responsibility and say his blood is on us and on our children. Maybe because by saying it together, they feel safer. People feel safe in a crowd, don't they? The trouble is, if you follow the crowd, you get lost in the crowd. If you are in a crowd where you you do not go along with the direction in which they are going, it's hard to turn and go in the opposite direction. A couple of months ago, I went to watch uh, my football team of Town play Wickham Wanderers at uh, Wickham. Fortunately, all the tickets for... uh, the Ipswich Town supporters have been sold, and so I had to sit with all the Wickham fans. So what do you think I did when Ipswich scored a goal? I jumped up. I said, yes. No, actually, I didn't, did I? I would have stood out in the crowd if I'd done that. I was too afraid to do so. That's why it's hard to be a Christian in the UK today, because you're going against the crowd. But we were made as individuals, each with a responsibility for our own choices. Each with a responsibility for how we respond to Jesus. How often have we hidden in the crowd and failed to stand up for the truth? We cannot just say, well, I did what everybody else did. We have to decide for ourselves what is the truth. Jesus said, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Well, let's have a look at Jesus' response in this story. And what we see here is that Jesus is in control, but chooses to die as an innocent man for our sakes. The obvious question here is that if Jesus is God, why did he not stop this terrible injustice from happening? Why did he not open his mouth and defend himself against the false charges and the the injustice that he was experiencing? And the reason is that his death was part of God's plan. And out of that awful death came a glorious victory. Prophet Isaiah said this several hundred years before Jesus came to earth. He said he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Twice it says here he did not open his mouth. This is the person who in his debates with the Pharisees ran rings round them. He always had an answer for them when they were trying to catch him out. And yet when Pilate asks him to defend himself, we're told Jesus made no reply. 
Pilate was looking for any excuse to be able to release him. But Jesus didn't give him any. He knew Jesus was innocent, but Jesus didn't try to be released. Jesus also had the power to resist his arrest. He could, as he said himself, have called down a dozen legions of, of angels, but chose not to. Because as it says in, in Matthew, how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? And that is why in his silence, having resources at his disposal that he chooses not to use, he demonstrates the incredible power of divine love over divine anger. He kept back his anger against this injustice, the sheer evil of his enemies, and he retained his meekness and his majesty. Unlike the motives of Judas, the religious leaders, Pilate, the crowd, all of which were selfish, Jesus' motives were totally selfless. The description of Jesus as silent as a sheep before his shearers is powerful. It demonstrates complete surrender. He wanted to offer himself perfectly so that we could be freed. But you may be wondering, what good did his death achieve? Why would he allow himself to die and a guilty man to go free? But that is precisely why Jesus died, so that we, the guilty, could go free. In 1 Peter 3 it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. The righteous for the unrighteous, the innocent for the guilty. We're all, by nature, sinful. We all reject God's loving rule over our lives. We all, by nature, want to be in control of our own lives. And so before we're too harsh on the religious leaders here, we're not much better ourselves. We exclude God from our plans, even though he's the one who who made us. And we are therefore guilty. We deserve to be punished. If we weren't punished, God would not be a just God. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus chose to take that punishment for us. The weight of our sin and guilt was taken off us and laid on him. As he releases us from that burden of sin and guilt, he replaces it with his righteousness. And so when God looks at us now, he sees Jesus in all his innocence. What this willing substitution of Jesus does is take away the tragedy of the cross. The fact that Jesus voluntarily submitted to the crucifixion out of his love for us, that means that we can rejoice in the triumph of the cross. Which brings us to our last point as we finish. If we give up control of our lives to Jesus, we will enjoy true freedom. What is true freedom? Well, is it to be able to do what you want to do, to go where you want to go? Well, that's not true freedom, is it? Because if you just went where you wanted to go right now, you'd end up becoming sick. You'd make others sick. That's irresponsible, isn't it? Isn't true freedom to be able to do what is best for you and for others? At the moment, we're following guidelines for our lives that have been set by by the government. We're submitting to their authority over us because we know that they're best for us. But those guidelines are limited to what is best for our physical health at this point in time. Jesus' guidelines were focused on our spiritual health, and they were valid for all time, for all eternity. They were designed 
for our good. And so if we submit to, to Jesus' authority, to his control, we will be able to enjoy true freedom. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It sets us free because we know that whatever happens, it will not affect our eternal security. In the worst case, in this crisis, we may die. But if we trust in Jesus, our eternal future is secure. We will go to be with him. Nothing can change that. So let me leave you with this this question. Who do you most trust to protect you and be in control of your life? Not just physically, but spiritually. Is it human leaders? Maybe the government? Is it a crowd? Do you just follow what everybody else is doing? Thinking there's so many of them doing that must be right. Is it yourself? Do you think you know what is best for you? Or is it Jesus? For me, I trust in Jesus. Why? Because he made me, and therefore he knows me better than I know myself. Because he showed his love for me by dying for me, even though he was innocent, so that I can be right with God. And because he's enabled me to enjoy true freedom. Finish with those words again. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you want to know more about Jesus and what it means to put your trust in him, to be set free, to be friends with God, then do please uh, get in touch. Um, contact us through the church website. The details are on there. We'd love to hear from you and speak to you further about this. But let me pray as we close. Father God, we thank you for... For Jesus, that in his innocence, he was willing to be crucified for our sakes, that we, the guilty, might go free. We thank you that we can trust him, that we can allow him to have control of our, over our lives. Because as we do so, we know that our eternal future is secure. And we can enjoy the, the freedom that that brings. So Lord, may we all enjoy that as we put our trust in him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.